Hey ladies, I'm Kendra. I'm Nama. And I'm Adelise. And we are Three Three Dope Wives. With over 20 years of collective experience, we're here to give you an inside look at what marriage is really like. Honey, we are airing out all the dirty laundry, spilling all the tea, and telling all the business. Are you looking for something really real? Then honey, pull up a chair and grab your favorite cup of something hot as we dish on all things marriage. Welcome, 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 our friends, to another episode of Three Dope Wives. I'm your girl, Kendra, and we are here today um, with some great show. We've got a good friend with us by the name of Erica Tucker, and Erica is a specialist in mental illness. Today, ladies, we are going to be talking about mental illness and its impact in marriage. But before we jump into all that good show, let me uh, tell you a little bit about Erica. Erica is a licensed clinical social worker with a bachelor's and master's degree from the University of Texas at Arlington. She has over 10 years of experience working with children, adults, and families. And her areas of expertise include anxiety and depression, relationship challenges, phases of life changes and life stresses. Hmm. Definitely something we need to learn more about. We are so excited. Yes, we all have these stresses and and we're so grateful to Erica for being here with us today. Want to learn a little bit about her. Welcome to the show, Erica. Thank y'all so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Happy to talk about what I love. Absolutely. So, um, you know, we're not going to mince words. We're just going to dive right in here, Erica. Uh, so many couples are, are struggling with the issues, uh, surrounding mental illness, illness and how to be healthy in their relationships. Can you help us really to understand what mental illness actually is? Yes. So mental illness and mental health are two different things. I'll make sure they understand that they um, always are interchanged. But mental illness, um, the difference is it has a long lasting effect on your interactions with people and also just your physical symptoms as a whole. So mental illness, um, you may actually need medication, therapy. Um, there are physical signs and symptoms that affect your activities of daily living um, in some way. They impact them. Mental health. We all have it. Everybody has things that they struggle with. Life happens to all of us. And we have to find ways to really be able to cope with it and have a safe space to be able to discuss those things and figure out how we're going to get through it. We all have that piece. The mental illness piece um, may require medicine or an actual diagnosis and treatment. Mm-hmm. So can, you know, our mental health also impact our daily living, right? Because I think that that's the part that that gets us all mixed up, right? It's like, I can't can't function, so to thing, right? Sure. It can definitely impact your daily living. If you don't process just the things that are going on in your life, it can absolutely lead to you being depressed or lead to you being extremely anxious um, because you're you're just overwhelmed with all Mm -hmm. the things that are going on in your life. So it can lead to a mental illness. Typically, though, most mental illness is diagnosed um, prior to 18 years of age. So Mm -hmm. if you struggle with something at 30, you probably struggle with it for a long time before that. And whether it was treated or not is a whole nother subject. But um, it absolutely can impact your, you know, your life. 
if you mm-hmm. don't take care of you. It's part of self-care. Is there a sense like because um, you said that most mental illness is, is, is diagnosed before 18? Has that been like since 1999? Has, I mean, has that is that something more recent? So basically, the, the diagnosis manual, the, the DSM is what um, psycholo- psychologists and uh, social workers, whoever is you're going to be your licensed uses to diagnose you since the they set a criteria of when these um, symptoms should show up, right? Mm-hmm. So it's highly unlikely that a person would get to over the age of 18 and never have experienced uh, depression symptoms or anxiety symptoms in some form or fashion. Maybe it's mm-hmm. worse um, if they're going through something at age 30, but they may have always felt like, you know, they, they struggle with their self-esteem or maybe they were bullied or different things that have shown up. So the reason why they say that is because as you're going through life, once you hit the peak of like 18, you've pretty much experienced a lot of things that would have triggered some of those symptoms um, mm-hmm. where they can diagnose. That's not to say it cannot be diagnosed after the fact, mm-hmm. but most of the time when people hear diagnosis after the age of 18, they're like, Oh, I've been dealing with that for years. Yeah. And I just didn't know what it was, you know? Mm-hmm. So is, is mental illness something that is innate or is it circumstantial? So that's a very, very good question. So mental illness, basically, um, I'm not going to say it's innate, though it is a lot of linkage between uh, mental illness and um, your family history. So it, it, if your um, grandparents, parents, if they struggle with mental illness, the, the, co- the chances are more likely for you to struggle with the same thing as an individual. Um, but experience does bring out a lot of these different things that kind of goes into like what some of the triggers are. Um, so if you've had a traumatic event and like and uh, the anniversary date of that traumatic event comes up, it can trigger mm-hmm. um, you to fall into a depressive state or uh, watching the news, frightening news events, you know, even the pandemic that we're currently in, it's triggering mm-hmm. a lot of things in people oppression to loneliness to just isolation all of these different things um family friction uh relationships constant uh fighting uh violence all of these things can definitely trigger um the mental illness mm-hmm. erica um I, now that you mentioned like the pandemic and some of the things that could be triggering um have you just kind of like watching tv doing your research or even being um you know on the front lines of the um and being telehealth are you seeing an increase in all of that since the pandemic and since you know we're home with our spouses and a lot of things could be triggering um have you been seeing like an increase in all that i have i've been extremely busy um these last few months which i'm grateful for on one hand but on the other side it does tell me um that people are experiencing a lot um it, i'm seeing a lot of relationship issues because you're now in the house with your spouse 24 7 i'm seeing a lot of um depression from singles who are in the house by themselves and struggling to connect with people where they are used to going out to do those types of things um you're also just seeing a lot of anxiety because we don't really know what's going on you know you hear right. stories on the news all the time and so People are trying to, you know, figure that piece out. Then you have financial issues from those are being laid off. 
and not knowing how they're going to feed their family or how long this is going to last before they can go back to work. So all of those things are triggers. Every single thing I just listed is a trigger um, that can put a person in a place where mentally they're just unstable and they're just not okay because there's so many uncertainties with what's going on in our world. Their norm has been interrupted and it's difficult. Um, now, would you say all of that would fall under the mental health umbrella versus the mental illness umbrella? So it can fall under both. And let me tell you how, how it can. Okay. So mental health, it's affecting all of our mental health, whether we acknowledge it or not. Some of us just have yeah. better coping skills than others. Right. But none right. of us know when this is going to end. It's impacted all of our lives. And just some of us are coping with it better than others. Um, but we're still. We, you know, you'd probably be lying to yourself if you said you weren't concerned with how does this change our way of life, right? And what does this look like for me? So it affects all of our mental health in that way. But let's say, for instance, a person who struggles with um, depression, they may have been perfectly fine until they lost their job. Now it has put them back in a depressive state. So what I'm also seeing is individuals who had kind of weaned themselves off of the medication, had some coping skills, doing great. Now this hits and now they're like, I probably really do need my anxiety medicine again. I do, I really do need my depression medicine again. So those things is impacting their mental illness, you know, because they had kind of gotten to a plateau where they were okay. And now they're not able to cope without, you know, without their medication or something like that. Right. What about um, an increase in domestic violence? I had saw a post, I want to say it was like yesterday, the day before, and it was a bunch of pictures of all these women, these battered women and, mm-hmm. What are some of the the things that you've heard or that you've seen regarding that aspect? So I've heard the same thing you have, that there's been an increase in domestic violence as well as um, as well as child abuse. Um, And Mm. I attribute that to the fact that you're in the house together. Right. Can't leave the house. So you're all there. The stressors have increased because now we're making parents not only do their jobs if they're working from home, but they're now teaching their children as well. Responsible for teaching. And then, you know. If you have toddlers who were used to going to daycare, you're trying oh. to keep them, you know, oh. you're not even necessarily teaching them, trying to, you know, keep them um, in one spot long enough where you can get your work done. And so you add all of these things, like I said, on top of if somebody has lost a job, it's a financial issue. So these stressors and people not knowing how to handle those stressors are leading to more fights, more arguments and abuse of children and domestic violence, you know, um, just because it's, you can't go anywhere, you know, like when a person might have left, where are you going to go? You know? So, so these yeah. types of things is definitely, you're seeing an increase because we're, we're in the house together. Oh, I was going to say, it sounds like that's more attributed to like stress and mental health than it actually is mental illness, right? It's, it's a person's ability to deal with the stresses that they are encountering within their environment versus mental illness, unless it's triggering something that was already there. Is that a right understanding? Yes, yes, yes absolutely. So, um, you know, now that I think about what Adelie just said and what you just said, Erica, a lot of people don't have this escape anymore to, you know, go to work or, mm-hmm. you know, the kids don't have that escape to go to daycare because now, because, and so a lot of parents are struggling with trying to combine all these things. So I guess my question to you is going to be like, what kind of support can you provide to the spouse that is going through that? So for example, say, 
I have my toddler and my husband is home with me and I'm struggling with just trying to coordinate my toddler and trying to turn in my deadline, like, you know, trying to meet my deadlines. And I'm getting so stressed. What kind of support can my husband give to me? And what kind of support can I give to my husband? That's a good question. So what people are having to do in this season and what I'm encouraging a lot of people to do is develop a schedule. We had a schedule when we had to go to work, right? We had the time we wake up, we were going to work, we were dropping kids off, we were doing all these things. Now we don't have a lot of those things to do, but we still need a schedule. The schedule not only helps the kids because kids thrive in a place of structure, right? But it also helps you to be able to prioritize work, cooking, uh, taking care of the kids, all of these things, it helps kind of compartmentalize it so that it's easy to handle versus just going throughout the day, taking it as it comes at you, because that's the piece that becomes overwhelming when the toddler is crying, the food is about to burn up and, and all of these things are happening at the same time, you know? So trying to develop a schedule as much as possible is going to help. Also, when it comes to supporting a spouse, if we're talking about supporting a spouse that has mental illness, The biggest thing we can do is educate ourselves and make sure that we understand what that mental illness is, what it can look like, and also how this current state that we're in can impact that. Right. So if I know I have a spouse that has been diagnosed with clinical depression and they are on medication because of it, for one, I'm going to be wanting to make sure. um, Can they have access to their therapy like they used to? Maybe they were going to therapy once a week. Is their therapist offering online counseling? Or any suggestions that they can be using, you know, during this time and so they can get back to their norm. Um, so education is the biggest piece. And then making sure that you're not becoming their therapist. Right. So if mm. that means I need to take the kids for an hour so that you can go sit in the car and talk to your therapist, we need to make that a part of our schedule because I can't be the person for you to process with and be your wife at the same time. That's two different roles that you shouldn't play. Just be the support for them to go to the therapist, meaning providing space for them to do that, but not the person that they're expecting to uh, listen and help them process through all of the things um, that they may be experiencing. And then finally, just practice self-care. In that schedule, you have to practice self-care. And by self-care, I mean each person needs at least two hours a week by themselves. Now, that looks different because we're all in the house, but that two hours may look like when I go to the grocery store to pick up my groceries, I'm going to stop by the park and I'm going to sit out there, you know, by myself for an hour before I grab the groceries just so I can have some space away from the house. Or if, if you know, another spouse, maybe you take the kids outside for an hour and I'm going to be in the house just to have that space. So you have to figure out what that looks like for you and your family. But that's the biggest piece because we we have to get some space away to clear our heads because we're together so much. Yeah, because sometimes I'll be wanting to, uh, you know, <laughs> knock my husband across with the pot or something. But like, uh-uh, don't be know. the domestic abuse now. You need to go and you need to take this take this little boy with you because I'm about right. to my my cat my basket about to literally explode. <laughs> <in the> story. <laughs> um, Kind of touching on um, being that we are spending so much time at home. What if we notice things in our spouse that were never really prevalent before? 
I mean, it could be anything from depression or even just noticing small little triggers and, and they're, they're, they're become, they were small triggers or what we thought were small triggers are now big triggers. So what if we like kind of start noticing like a trend of something that could possibly be a mental illness and not a mental health? How do we get and support our spouse into possibly seeking counseling? Sure. Like what are like, oh. I guess. Cause I don't want it. Some, some people like to tiptoe around that or some people are scared to even be like, you know, I think this might be really concerning issue. You might want to look into a counselor because their spouse might get defensive or like ain't nothing wrong. With you know what I mean? So it can kind of create like a feud there. Mm-hmm. So what are some ways that you think that we can encourage that if that were the situation? Well, the biggest way is going to be to make sure that you have kind of a, um, examples of when this person has been this way right so like some warning signs of uh mental illness when you have like long lasting sadness or irritability right like long lasting now what does long look like um i would say 14 days or more Mm. completely sad completely you're in a row and that's the thing you also have to consider what happened those days you know if something happened on day one and you're still sad to the point on day 14 where you just don't want to do what you normally do. You don't want to get up and do your work. You're just in the bed. That's something to really notice, you know. Also, just extremely high and low moods. When somebody swings from a 10 to a 1 within 20 minutes, that's a, that's, that's a major shift, right? Because we all get upset. Anger is normal. Happiness is normal. But when we're shifting from one to the other extremely quickly, Something to pay attention to, like withdrawal from social settings, like I, they want to stay in the bed, they don't want to get out, those types of things, all something to notice. And so how do you push that stuff um, or bring it to their attention to where they're wanting to go to counseling? You you may just say something like, you know, I noticed that you've been like, and I'm not sure if you want to think about it. I'm not sure if it's something that you want to discuss, but I want you to feel safe to talk to somebody. Um, because I just noticed these things with you, you know, a lot of people look at going to a therapist, Mm -hmm. like, you know, um, something's wrong with me, but sometimes Mm -hmm. you just need somebody to talk to, because you know, if you talk to your spouse, it's going to turn into something else. Like I can't just say this thing and it'd be just that it's going to be like, well, why? And you know, all these other things will ball out of effect. Yeah. Correct. So going to that therapist first is going to help you be able to come back and communicate that to your spouse. I want to touch on that just a little bit because um, cause I feel like this is kind of a theme, this thing you said earlier about not becoming your spouse's therapist, right? Uh, it seems to me that we have this feeling like you are supposed to be your spouse's everything, right? Like, no, but we're supposed to be best friends. And, of course, you can talk to me and tell me anything. Um, but I literally found myself telling my own husband, no, I am not the one to talk to <laughs> Um, you know, there was something he wanted to talk about and I was like, oh no, 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 time out, back up, rewind, you go talk to somebody else about that. I'm not the one to talk to about that. But so, so, but for those of us that don't have that level of, I want to say awareness and you're, you're wanting to be in the thick of it, how do you get yourself out of this mindset of I need to be everything and start, you know, diagnosing and sitting down with the pad and pen and really sort of getting in that trench with your spouse? Well, first of all, I mean, we have to really understand that we cannot be responsible for being another person's everything. That's way too much responsibility for any person to try to fulfill. 
Um, and so we also have to play on our strengths and our weaknesses. Right. So like if if as a couple you struggled financially. Right. Let's just say one person um, really struggled with finances and the two of you didn't know how to get your finances back on track. You probably would consult an expert in finances to give you advice on how to fix your finances. Right. We do it all the time. We consult mm-hmm. um, fitness people or nutrition or trainers because we want to learn how to get in shape. So. For whatever reason, there is like a a block when it comes to consulting other people in terms of how we think and how we act and how we cope with things. Um, And that's the stigma that we really have to address, making sure that as a spouse, I don't always have the answer to your problems and your problems um, spill over into other areas where I cannot always present a non-biased opinion Mm. because if because I'm looking out for myself. In turn, like whatever I tell you is going to affect me. And that's right. probably why I don't need to be involved, because I'm right. not going to be able to give non-biased um, opinion about anything because I'm thinking of myself in the midst yeah. of you telling me about your stuff. Right. So right. going to the therapist is going to help you have a space just for you. And that person can help you process how to interact with your spouse and how to share that with your spouse in the parts of that that you know may affect them. But ultimately, we just have to get out of the habit of trying to be everything for everybody, um, mm-hmm. including our spouses, because there are some areas we just we just don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like we yeah. we're human and we we tend to, you know, we probably went to school for something specific and we're good at certain things. Mm-hmm. And the things that we are not, there's nothing wrong with getting help. And like I say, we do that in other areas of our lives all the time. We just need to do that in terms of our thinking and coping skills as well. So you said something. There's things that we just don't know. Right. So let's just say we're inspiring wives. Right. And we're in the process of getting to know our soon to be spouse or someone that we're dating. Right. So what are some, I guess, key questions that we can like ask when we're learning about our spouse and the history and if they bring trauma and I mean, even if you can, like, please even just touch on what exactly is trauma and what that looks like yeah, um, sure. for anyone. OK, so we have trauma just by definition is just a deeply distressing or disturbing experience. That's it. Now, the difference is what's disturbing for me may not be disturbing for you mm. and so on and so on. So by definition, You know, we can all experience traumas, but it's going to look different because what I feel is traumatic. You may feel like it's your norm, you know. So trauma is subjective. It it is. It it is very subjective. And that's why it's important to make sure that we aren't trying to define a person's trauma for them. Um, Mm. A big one that I always Mm. hear is when when you meet a person and you're dating a person, the stigma sometimes is if your parents are not divorced. You may not know anything about marriage or the assumption is that since I come from a product of a single parent or my parents are divorced, the assumption is that that them not being together is a traumatic experience for me. Right. Mm. But I can't define that for them. For them, it may not have been traumatic at all. Their parents may have been great co-parents. Everybody got along and there's not a problem with that. But just because they're not together doesn't mean that it's trauma, but it could. So with, with that being said, you know, you have acute trauma, which is like one thing happened, a single incident happened and trauma results from that thing happening one time. Right. Somebody passed away. Uh, I got in a car accident. 
It just it happened one time and now I have traumatic effects from that. And then you have chronic trauma, which is it's just prolonged over a, a period, a long period of time, like domestic violence. Right. It's, this is going on over and over and over again. It's chronic. This is a part of your life for sometimes months, years, you know, um, right. that you're going through this. And then you have like complex trauma where like a person may have domestic violence. They live in a violent neighborhood, so there's always shootings going around in their neighborhood. Then they happen to get in a car accident last week. And so you got all these things. It's complex. It's all types mm-hmm. of stuff going on in a person's life, right? So it's different, different types of trauma. Now, how does that lead into like, um, what kind of questions could you ask this person, like when you're dating? You want to find out like their family history. What's their interaction like with their family? You know, what's their relationship like with their mom, their dad? You know, um, these, these are great questions to ask. And you can even, you know, ask not on the first date, <laughs> but you can even ask, you know, their, uh, you know, history of mental illness in your family, you know, um, because you'll hear people be like, oh, that's just my crazy uncle or, you know, and as you observe, crazy, it's like, crazy. No, yeah, no, maybe your, your uncle, he might be bipolar or he might be schizophrenic. You know, you're just kind of observing. <laughs> so, so, you know, you, you're talking about family history. That's a big thing. And you want to talk about um, if there's anything that's traumatic that happened to them in their life. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of a telltale sign sometimes is where they grew up, the part of town they grew up, what goes on in that part of town, you know, and how they handled it. Right. Mm-hmm. Did they ever process it or did they just kind of, hey, that's just the way it is and move on? Mm-hmm. You know, because that's the thing. Sometimes they're experiencing. They never really talk to anybody about these things, you know, molestation mm-hmm. or just all types of things that people may have gone through in their childhood that the family and them might have just blown off and, you know, you just grow up and you just forget about it. But you think yeah. you do, but you right. really don't. And there's a term for that, right? It's ACEs, isn't it? The ACEs, right? That's adverse childhood experiences. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of adverse childhood experiences that people do not deal with, especially in the black community. We just yeah. grow up, you get over it. Right. But nobody yeah. ever talked yeah. about it. And like I say, yeah. you never, you never talked about it. But it's affecting every area of your life. You know, it's affecting how you see people, how you trust people, how you interact with people. And it's definitely going to affect your relationship when you're dating that person. And you're kind of like, you know, like, what is going on? You know, certain triggers, like I said, smells, sounds, you know, you'll see how a person reacts and you're like, did something happen to you, you know, a long time ago that, you know, that makes you jump when a loud noise happens or those are the kind of questions that you kind of you want to ask. And then, like I said, just observing that person's mood. And the changes in their mood and how they handle life struggles. You know, you probably heard old people say, like, watch a person in every season, right? Like, if something bad, watch how they act and some good happens, see how they act. You know, so you just, you're observing. Um, but mainly family history, uh, family of origin, how they grew up, it's going to be really big on learning about if this person may have some mental illness. Um, Erica, I was going to just circle back on what you said. So the way it's done in the African tradition culture mm-hmm. is before a woman marries a man, so before I married my husband, the parents actually check on the history, the family history. So mm-hmm. do they have things like madness? Do they have, like, what? what is their background, right? But um, one thing I've noticed is that a lot of parents, because they want to put their kids in a good light, Sometimes they don't tell the truth. So, for example, if it's me, my parents would go on thinking, oh, you know, they're good. You know, this is what we get from them. So my question to you is, if you have that kind of situation and your parents go ahead thinking, okay, these people are from a good family and 
you know, with your experience, you've seen that the guys, you know, the way he relates with his mom and everything is good and with his family is good. But then when you get married, all these things start showing up. How do you deal with that? So, I mean, that's a great question because it happens all the time. I want to start by saying marriage is a faith walk, right? We marry somebody based off the questions that we've asked, the time that we've spent. But we have no idea what right. life is going to throw right. for us to make it to death do us part, right? We don't right. know what's coming. And so we can only prepare so much right. ahead of time, right? And I think asking good questions, spending time with people, dating them for an extensive period of time or, or things like that, these are all great tactics to try to learn who you're going to be with, right? But we all know after you say I do, life happens, right? Life right. starts. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so with that being said, I mean, there's no way to really prepare in terms of, because you're right, you can ask questions to the to the family. They might tell you certain things, but it's not until you're in the house with that person, you're not going to tell you the truth. So you can't, you can't always fully prepare. You can ask questions, but you can't fully prepare. Now, once they're in your house, the key, you know, to a lot of relationships or all relationships is making sure we're developing a new norm together. So when I'm seeing these things in you, I'm addressing those things and we're figuring out how we can fix them together. Because like I say, a lot of times people have been functioning this way. They've been handling their issues this way their entire lives. And you might, as their spouse, may be the first person who ever had a problem with it. Maybe everybody in they in their family um you know leaves the room when they get upset or leaves the house when they get upset they run um maybe everybody in their house does not talk you know about issues so that's i'm just saying like for them it from their perspective it could be i've been doing this my whole life it has never been an issue why is it an issue for you right right and so So you're the anomaly (laughs) exactly so then they try to make it like you're the you're the only person in the world who has this issue. But regardless right. of you being the only person in the world, we're in this relationship together. We got to figure out how to fix it together. Yeah. Now, you have to do that, you know, by compromise, because you have to understand if they've been acting like this their whole life, they're not going to come on your side instantly. Right. But maybe right, we can right, meet right. in the middle. So, like, for a person that is a runner, right, like they don't want to talk about it. They just gonna act like it didn't happen and gonna go on about their day. Maybe implementing a rule that. I'm going to give you your space to process it. But within 48 hours, we have to talk about it. Right. Because that's that's a compromise. I'm going to give you your space. You got 47 hours to go do what that's you do. Cool. Right. But on yeah. hour 48, now you got to meet me on my side. Which yeah. you talk about, you know, so you're, you're figuring out these personalities and you're figuring out, like, how do we come to the middle? Because, you know, if you like I say, 25 years, 30 years when you get married, you know, if you're 30 right. years old. This is a long time you've been functioning this way and it's going to take work. You know, relationships mm-hmm. are work, taking classes, taking uh, marriage retreats, all of these things like you're constantly pouring into your marriage to get better. Um, and so you have to do the work, you know, hopefully, regardless of what the issue is, you're both willing to do the work, figure out how do we prevent this this uh, big, huge problem. Right. from continuing you know we should be getting better in our communication where it used to take us two weeks now we down to two days before you know what i'm saying like we should yeah. just be kind of getting better to where we're mm-hmm. yeah progress i always say progress not perfection right Absolutely. but we all have our things that 
like I say, most of the time we learn it from our family. Because if you look at your spouse, you probably can say, yep, his mama does it. Yeah. His daddy does yeah. it. Right, right. <laughs> yes. long you know, it's true. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Look, yeah. I mean, like, it does like, not. Exactly. <laughs> and like I say, that was their norm. So they got to break that cycle. They got to do something new. Because that norm don't work for this wife. It worked for your mama. Right. It didn't work for you. you we know, even so. see it in our kids sometimes. Where, oh, like, yeah. our kids are growing up and we're like, wait, like, she act just like my granny. Or she right. act just like, or she act just like me. Or like her, me. My right. son. Yeah, like, my son. I'm just like, oh, child, like, you got a mix of both of us. So I'm just <laughs> pray for you. <laughs> Bless you. That is so good. I want to touch, though, on the trauma. I, if I can go back a little bit. I really... Because this is the thing, when you talk about dealing with helping your spouse get over whatever that issue is, for those that are less empathetic, and I'm just put, I'm less empathetic. I struggle with, <laughs> with being empathetic in general. Um, it's, it's a constant work in progress. But <laughs> how do you, um, because I came from like a background where, you know, um, single, single parent home, you know, woman led, you know, you, you, uh, you dust yourself off and you move on, right? You, right. you cry in your corner, you come out ready to face the world and you deal, right? So I find myself guilty in trivializing or spiritualizing the issue, right? So like, oh, no, 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 we just need to go to the throne. We're just going to pray and we're just going to let the Lord deal with that. And then it'll be, you know, it'll, we're going we're gonna to stand on these scriptures. You're going to be okay. Or, um, you know, um, it really ain't that big a deal. If you look at it like I'm looking at it, you will be fine, you know, kind of thing. And so mm-hmm. how do we, how do we come out of that sort of cycle when you, when you do gen- genuinely lack empathy? But you have a spouse that really needs some 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 TLC in certain areas where mental health is concerned. Mm-hmm. So mainly what you want to do is make sure you're allowing that person to feel however they feel mm. and letting them know it's OK. It is OK to be angry sometimes. That's normal. It is OK to feel like, um, why me? You know, why are you going through this particular circumstance? It's OK to be sad about it. What's not okay is to stay in that place for a prolonged period of time where it starts to affect your daily living, right? So I think a lot of times our spouses or even ourselves, we have normal reactions to things that happen to us, right? Mm -hmm. The thing is, people are trying to move us out of that space faster than we want to move out, right? So what we can do in the meantime is offer support, like the, the places where they aren't able to function because they are feeling a certain type of way. Pick up the slack in those areas um, for them during that time. Right. Um, until they can kind of get to a place where they're they're better and they're able to take back on those tasks. You know, um, being there to listen, not to respond, only to listen, asking them beforehand. Do you want my opinion or do you want me to just listen? Because Amen. a lot of times people are Amen. talking. And we just we just throw in it. Well, see, I wouldn't do that. I would just right. not. nobody <laughs> asked you. Nobody asked you. <laughs> like, right? Nobody asked you how you go. You know how no. you or, or, or I don't need that. Right? right I just right. need you to listen and understand that I'm sad about this or this upset me at work today or whatever the case may be. 
because we're not the same, you know. So the things that you're offering is not even it's not them, you know. Mm-hmm. And so that's like asking them to go perform and be you. So mm-hmm. listen, I mean, that's the biggest thing. Listen, mm-hmm. pick up the slack, you know, in the areas that they they may, you know, are not able to at that moment. And like I say, acknowledge their feelings as being real, because a lot of times we belittle them on the sly or even directly um, by just saying different things like, you know, it, that, that's that's not a big of a deal or it's OK. It's going to be fine. You know, like instead, try saying things like I understand why you're upset. It's OK for you to be upset. I might now granted, as I'm saying this, I might not be upset by that same thing if it happened to me. Right, but I understand that you are, and that's okay. Right, because you're. Should different. I say I? Because uh, I'm I'm writing this down because I'm definitely gonna add this language. I'm just trying to get my whole. I'm just trying to get my marriage together so we could be till death do us part. So I'm saying <laughs> when when he, I understand how you feel. Okay, we're gonna say yeah. that. But it should dot, I say dot 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 verbatim? Um. Is it is it safe to say? Because um, I, I I mean I I don't want the question to come back like, do you really understand how I feel? Like that's the yeah. the flip I side do. of I, that. I, you can understand how a person feels without feeling the same way, right? Like mm-hmm. I say, that event could happen to me, and I might not be upset about it at all. But I understand why you are. That's so fine. You're, That's you're sympathizing versus yes. empathizing. Absolutely. And, you know, another thing you can a- ask them how you can support them. A lot of mm-hmm. times we try to have mm-hmm. our, you know, have this thing in our head where we, we have all the answers. Again, that's us as wives trying to be everything to everybody, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't have all the answers. I don't know how to support you or what you might deem as support because in my mind, you know, what I'm saying, you know, Okay, I'm picking up the kids today or I cook for you today. Maybe that's me trying to show you that I support you, but maybe you don't feel that way. So I can yeah. ask you, I understand you're going through a rough time right now. Is there anything I can do to support you during this time? And mm-hmm. that person may just say, you know, um, I just need you to listen or I just need a hug. You know, I may not have thought just give you a hug, you know, but let me just ask you, how can I support you during this time? Mm-hmm. And if they don't know, because, you know, that might come up. I don't know how you can support me. Yeah. Like I say, just see the areas of their lives where they may need some help and provide their help during that time. Absolutely. I love that you said that, Erica. I love it because in my case, it's different. I'm not the one with the answers all the time. My husband always has answers for every mm-hmm. time I vent. And that's <laughs> why I kept doing the hallelujah side and amen, because I'm like, I don't need your solutions right now. I just need you to listen to me then. That's it. Now, shameless, so I, but, I shameless for the men, a little, little plug for the men. They they were almost raised in a lot of cultures to fix it. That's how they were raised. Right. They need to fix the problem all the time. They struggle with realizing when this is the time to fix it and when this is the time to listen. So it may take verbal communication ahead of time to say, hey, I just need you to listen. Because if not, they're trained to hear a problem, find a solution. Right. That's how they're trained, you know. And so it's not always like intentional. It's just they didn't know. Oh, this is one of those times I'm supposed to listen, not <laughs> you know. Like so, you gotta like give them a little reminder sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Erica, I kind of want to shift gears a little bit. Um, 
and I think we kind of touched on it a little bit before, but what about like gender roles and the the male ego is really and and I guess it can it can be for females too. Um but I feel like females are more open to seeking help or realizing that they need help versus males. So mm-hmm. how prevalent is the male ego um where the need for mental health assistance is concerned? It's huge. Um men are up against a lot of battles that that we did not create. We're just dealing with. I mean, I'll just tell yeah. you like historically when it comes to this whole psychotherapy idea, historically, psychotherapy was created by men to understand women. Most mm, of the people, wow, when you look wow. at psychotherapy history, there's a lot of men that were creating these theories and yeah. uh, the, the practices. Men did this, right? And so they didn't do it for themselves. They saw other people, mainly women, who they felt like they need some help with this. I'm going to help them. Again, that mm-hmm. fixed it. That fix it mentality. Right. And so they came up with these different theories, which are great now, but they didn't realize they apply to you, too. Right. And so that's that's just historically. And then exactly. I mean, over time, men have not been conditioned to really be comfortable or encouraged to express their emotions. When we look at how we raise our boys versus how we raise our girls, we don't really give our boys a safe space, comfortable space. And encourage them to talk about how they're feeling. We typically just suck it up, put a bandaid on it, get back out there, go, stop crying, dry them tears up. You know, like we, we put this in them from the time that they are born to the time they're little. Once you start walking as a little boy, you gotta, you gotta get it together. Like nobody Mm. gives you that. (laughs) Nobody gives you the real. She hurt herself. You know, like you do your daughters. Mm. And so so all of these things, so you you grow up like that as a man, right? And you get to this place where now you want me to go to therapy and talk to somebody about really everything that's happened in my life because I've been just getting over all of that. Now you Mm. want me to sit down and talk about that. But it's like, why? I've been doing fine. I've gotten to this point. Like I've never had nobody to talk to before, you know? Mm -hmm. And so... We just we we have to do better about giving our men the opportunity to be human and express themselves, not downing them when they cry, you know, or when they do break the shell and actually be open enough to talk, to actually listen and not expect them to suck it up and move on. Because we have to realize we they don't have that. Like they're not it's not like girls, your homegirls even ask you, like, how you doing? What's really going on? You know, when you notice when men talk, they don't talk about that kind of stuff. It's just kind of like, hey, what's what's up? I'm good. And that's it. Like they don't communicate like that. So they have to learn um, that it's safe to communicate about it and that you can actually learn from that. That's so. So that in a nutshell, historically, that that's why it's going to be hard for them to so go. And still, I have a question, though. I need to yeah. interrupt. You. So what if your husband like so what if your husband is like you, you're creating the space and you're like, you know, um you're supporting the idea of him being open and you're, you're all, you're all in right. As, as a wife. Mm-hmm. But what if they're like, I guess it seems like the ego still comes into place. Right. So like, it's almost like they feel like weak by expressing themselves or weak by saying this is where I'm struggling. Right. So, because like it has happened to, to me personally, like where I'm like, you know, I've noticed X, Y, Z, like, how can I support you? And I'm doing the, I'm going down the bullet points. Um, 
as far as just making sure that he's okay and giving him that safe space. But then it's always like, not always, sometimes it's like, oh, I'm good, or you won't understand, or I just got stress, and it's stress that you won't understand because it's a man, like, it's a stress that only a male figure will carry. That part. So, yeah, like, so you're right. Somebody hit all them bullets, and it's still like, but you're still walking around. So you did your part, but this is exactly what I'm saying, like, you did your part by creating a safe space, you're listening to him. He's right, though. Maybe there's a stress that only men understand. That's why yeah. you need a therapist. And if a male therapist makes you feel better about that, great. Because <laughs> you're in not, you're acknowledging that you have a stress that no one understands. Why not right. try to go talk about that with somebody who might? Mm-hmm. Okay. That, mm-hmm. That's where we're at. Because that's the thing. Right. A lot of men will acknowledge that they have the stress. They have the right. pressure. They don't feel comfortable talking to you about it because they don't want you as their wife. They don't want to put their stress onto you. They, for whatever reason, you know, they don't, they just don't want to communicate that, you know, to their spouse. But that doesn't mean it's not an issue, you know. So right. I'm OK with saying I understand you have an issue and you can't talk to me about it. But I think you should talk to someone. Find mm-hmm. somebody that you can talk to because we all need somebody. We were created for a community and we mm-hmm. all need somebody to talk right. to freely. Right without judgment or fear of retaliation or any of these things, you know? So when they say, yeah, I'm stressed and and it's a man issue, it very well might be. I'll never be able to understand what it's like to be a man. I know that there are certain things that men go through. I've, I've worked with enough male clients that I've learned, but I'm not a man. I don't walk in the world like they do. So you might need somebody to talk to who understands that piece of it. And then me, you can talk about something else, you know? And you okay. can be the example too. If you go, mm. I'm going because this, this certain stuff as a wife, a mother, you, you're never going to understand, right? And right. you know, yeah. and part of that is just, you know, you didn't carry them for nine months. So my feelings about them might be a little bit different than yours. You know, it's just all type of aspects that you may not understand. You may not right. be the person to talk to, but I need somebody. That's good. Yeah, I was going to just touch quickly on, uh, you talked a little bit about the way that men are raised differently from women, right? And how we, uh, how they're sort of groomed to take it, deal with it, you know, tuck that emotion and that whole thing. And then that thing grows up. Um, it kind of got me thinking about this term that I've been hearing a lot lately, and that's toxic masculinity, right? Um, but I feel almost like, is that even, a real thing or how 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 does that play into this sort of uh this this male ego and um this mental health divide and this need to seek out um services to get the help that you need so i mean we go back to coping skills like what we talked about earlier and how a person was raised if a man was put in that type of position where they could not talk about their feelings they had to get over it it absolutely can become toxic in the way that they handle it. The coping skill mm. is toxic. The interaction with other people is toxic. If you grew up in a house where men cursed at women, called them out of their names, that woman stayed in their place, you may develop that trait because you, that's what you see as how men deal with their frustrations. Or if if you're going through something and you see that, you know, your dad maybe turned to alcohol when he was going through something and that helped him get through his day, then that can become toxic because now your coping skill could be 
something, you know, drugs, alcohol, any of these things, you know, so it absolutely can turn into uh, a toxic situation and create toxic mm-hmm. relationships just because you never really learn how to disagree or express how you're feeling without talking to people crazy for lack of a better term. Okay. You know? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of time is it, it, it's really our communication styles that mm. cause most of the drama, you know, um, not knowing how to tell you, I feel sad and I need space. Mm-hmm. Instead, I just yell at you and, and curse at you. And then I make you leave. Right. And mm-hmm. then I get my space, you know, so just right. not knowing how to develop those skills. And like I say, a lot of times, we're, we're carrying past trauma. Uh, our parents parented us from a place of trauma that was right. never addressed. Um, and that's the way they handled us. And we feel like since they handled us that way, I'm going to handle this, my kids this way. And it just keeps going. It's a cycle um, that somebody has to say there has to be a better way of function. We've just gotten so used to functioning in dysfunction yeah. that we don't stop to think. There could be a better way of doing this. I know I've been doing it this way my whole life. Yeah. But there could be a better way that may get better results um, from the people that I interact with. So you, you're right. That masculine piece, because they haven't had that that avenue and they have this this ego that they can fix it and they're going to be all right. And they don't need anybody and they got it on their own. All right. of that creates that toxic interaction with people who are trying to be there for them and trying to fill that role they don't allow you to it's almost like they have a box a gate around their hearts and minds that everybody has to stay outside of Mm -hmm. and probably because we can probably almost always link that back to they let somebody in that box before yeah traumatic yeah they never deal with it and so they just put the box back up and said nobody's ever getting in again I'm only going to let them get so far. And their wives can get so far, but it's still a small piece. They're reserving for themselves because they don't trust anybody with that. Mm. Um, But they got to go back and figure out where it started before they can fully try to, you know, disseminate that box and and get rid of it. That's goodness. This is some rich information. I want to just make sure, I mean, because I feel like we can go on and on and on. I mean, there's just so many different um, avenues and facets when it comes down to mental illness. And there's just so much that we don't know, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Can we, before we go, I want to, if you can, I mean, if you want to leave our listeners with just some top tools, you know, you've given us the, the communication piece and all of that for when mental illness is too much. Um, you already mentioned the 14 days, right? If something is lasting more than 14 days. But what are some other tips and tools for knowing when uh, when it's too much for you to try to deal with and um, how to seek out resources? For starters, we have to be honest with ourselves, right? If we don't like something, we have to get in the practice of communicating it. And the best way to communicate it is not in the midst of an argument. So Mm -hmm. a lot of times our concerns are not heard because we bring it up when we're seeing the symptoms instead of bringing it up when we don't. You have more success when you wait until they're not mad. Wait until they're not uh, in the bed and have these conversations about, you know, this is what I've seen. I'm really concerned for Mm -hmm. you. And the way you come at it from a place of concern instead of a place of irritation is going to help you get to a place 
with your spouse where they're more comfortable talking about it. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to be the problem. Nobody wants to be the one that has the issues, mm-hmm. but right. we all have them. And so it's mm-hmm. just a way that a person handles us and talks to us to help us understand there's something bigger going on here. I don't know how to support you, but perhaps mm-hmm. a therapist or somebody could help you kind of decipher what is going on and come back with a plan that we can do together. Together mm-hmm. is the biggest piece. Don't ever make the person feel like they're by themselves. Even with the mental illness, even with the struggles that they're going through, you got to be in it with them. I want to find solutions with you. This is a, something we're going to figure out together. Yeah. Not you got a problem. Go get it fixed. Mm-hmm. Right. We need to go to counseling together. Do you want me to go with you when you mm-hmm. go? I don't mind going too. And then also, if you're the spouse that does not have the mental illness and the other one does, you need to go to counseling too because you need to learn how to be with this person that's struggling with this. And you're mm-hmm. going to need an outlet to, to talk about the stuff that irritates you. You're going to need an outlet to do that in right. without right. doing that to them because you can't right. play both sides. So y'all both need to be an individual counseling and you may need to go to couples counseling together just mm-hmm. so that you have a mediator to help talk about all the things. But the biggest piece, let them know you are in it with them. It's not just you on the island with your problem by yourself that you got to go fix. I'm in it with you and we're going to figure out how to work through it together. Yeah. That just leads me to say everybody needs a therapist. Everyone. Um, and I'm going to give you five reasons why everybody needs a therapist. For one, okay. they, they provide that objective view of whatever it is that you're trying to work through. Mm-hmm. They don't have any personal interest in it. They're just giving you an objective view of what's going on and, and what you what are you struggling with? Then they, the second thing, they can help you get rid of that pile up of stress that you might not even realize you have. Like I say, we're used to functioning in dysfunction. And we don't always even realize it's there, but they can help you get rid of that pile. The third thing, they can help you learn new healthy coping mechanisms. We all got to cope with something. How we do it, we got to make sure that we're doing it in a healthy way so that it, it's not um, perpetuating this cycle of, of, of issues in our lives and in our family's lives. And the fourth thing, they can help you understand your mind and your thoughts and get to the root of them. Because that's a lot of times we don't understand where the thought came from. And so we don't have less chance of fixing it in the future because we don't even know where it came from or why we might feel that way. They can help you connect those dots. And finally, therapy is me time. Mm-hmm. That is your time to go and be you and be free and be have the freedom to speak about whatever it is you want to speak about without that judgment or harsh reactions or any of that. Like you can just go and be free. Most people describe leaving therapy like a weight lifted off their shoulders because they've been able to just let it all out. Right. And so we all need therapy. Um, And that's mainly what I want to share. You know, make sure you find somebody just like you go to the doctor once a year, go at least once a year. Sure. Erica, um, if 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 our Erica. listeners are, are are hearing you and they go, you know what? I think I like this Erica Tucker. I think I want to get in touch with her. Um, where? Tell us a little bit about your practice in brief and um, how our listeners can contact you if they want to solicit your services. Yes. So I do telehealth therapy, which basically means you can talk to your therapist from your smartphone, your computer. You can talk to me. We can have a conversation and you don't even have to come into the office. It's that easy. Um, how you can reach me, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, TaylorMade, CFS. Um, 
You can find me there. You can also send an email to info at tailormadecfs.org. Um, we have a website, www.tailormadecfs.org. You can check that out um, for all the different resources. But ultimately, um, I just want to come from a perspective of making sure that you have access to affordable mental health. Um, so it's hard to get into a, a actual an office, get appointments, especially now that we're in the pandemic. You know, everybody's online. You're zooming. Yeah. You're doing all these things anyway. So why yeah. not take the time to talk to your therapist um, via a platform that is convenient for you where you can get it in? Excellent. Um, Erica, I'm just going to assume that you accept all major insurances. I do. Um. I, accept all major, <laughs> I accept all major insurances. Uh, I have private pay rates that um, are affordable. Um, and um, I'm, if there's a hardship case, just just message me and let me know what's going on. Uh, send me an email. Let me know what's going on. Um, my thing is I, I didn't get into therapy for the money. I got into it because I want to see people healed. And so if it. there's something special going on, please just let me know. I'll reach out. And we'll see what we can work out. Um, but yeah. Excellent. Erica, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. It has been such a pleasure to speak with you yeah. and to get to learn a little bit. I got me some walkaways. Listeners, <laughs> you got too. five points, right, that she has left us with. We are walking over the wealth of information. You have her contact information if you want to get in touch with Erica Tucker. Again, Erica, thank you so much for joining us on Three Dope Wives. Bye. Thanks, thank Erica. You. Thank you. This has been another episode of Three Dope Wives. Sis, we are so glad you took a minute to get real with us. Yep. Listen, I want you to know something. Every day a woman is married and a wife is made. Vows are exchanged and hopes arise. Mm-hmm. And every day a woman's dreams are crushed. Uh, let me tell you, crushed. Crushed. <laughs> by the reality of what marriage really is. True. Stay tuned with us and we will help you survive another day of this crazy, crazy, crazy married life. Crazy married life. I promise we will. Now, if you would like to submit a question or a topic of discussion, please send your request to 3dopewives at gmail.com. That's T-H-R-E-E, dopewives at gmail.com. And we'll see you again next time, girl.